If you're going from month to month, realizing that you're not making any real progress on your business goals, there's a simple planning routine that can help you get unstuck. It's called a CEO day. A CEO day is one day that I set aside each month to step outside of the day-to-day of my business, reflect on what's really going on, and create a strategic plan to move my business forward one month at a time. This is always one of the best days of my month. As a service provider, it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and lose sight of the big picture goals you have for your business. Having a CEO day to me feels like coming up for a breath of fresh air, and I made a free guide that will give you a step-by-step plan for how to structure your next CEO day so you can get that same fresh start feeling in your business. You can grab the Build Your Own CEO Day checklist at www.jadeboyd.co backslash CEO day, or grab the link in the show notes. That's www.jadeboyd.co backslash CEO day. Now back to the show. It continues to surprise me how I think that I need a certain amount of things or a certain item, and then somebody else tells me I don't. (laughs) And then I think about it a little bit harder instead of just default accepting that I would need that in my life or that I could not live easily without it. And then once that door is opened, it becomes so much easier for me to let go of things. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast, a podcast about redefining productivity for the modern woman in business and finding ways to work smarter, not harder in business and life. I'm your host, Jade Boyd. I'm an MBA business minimalist and productivity coach who helps overwhelmed business owners simplify and scale their service-based businesses with strategy and systems. On this podcast, we'll explore simple ways to earn more while working less. If you're ready to scale your business, bring order to chaos, ditch the busy work, and make space for what really matters, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast. So today we are jumping right back into the Year of Less Challenge. And if you haven't been listening along this year so far, you have to know that I'm doing a Year of Less Challenge where I planned to do one episode every single month this year where I went through a challenge of doing something less in my business or in my life, subtracting something, and then recording an episode about my productivity experiment and how it went. And so it's been a couple months since I've done a Year of Less Challenge episode in this series because the last challenge that I went through was decluttering my house. And I thought as somebody who owns, I would guess, well below average what the average American household owns in terms of like the number of items that we have... I thought that this would be easy to complete in a month, but it was actually really difficult. It turned into the entire summer of decluttering. And so we are jumping back into the series. I still focused on one challenge at a time and didn't try to stack things on top of that one challenge. But I'm excited to be back here again today and talk about something that I'm honestly really passionate about and have been for a long time. Of course, if you've been here, you already know this. And if you haven't been here, you can guess by the name of the podcast. But I've been on my own minimalist journey, not only as a business owner, but as a homeowner for a very long time. And so today, I'm sharing how this challenge went, what happened during the summer, my decluttering process, some resources that are kind of like my go-to if you're just learning about minimalism or if you're minimalish or just curious to learn more. And jumping back into the year of last challenge and sharing like my personal takeaways from going through this challenge. Every challenge in this series has honestly surprised me and taught me things about 
doing less and owning less that I didn't expect to learn. Every single time I've done a challenge, I've kind of guessed what would come out of it and how it would go and how I would feel about it. But every single time this year, I've been surprised. And so it's been a really great exercise and a really great journey for me to be a little bit more intentional about these experiments in my own life. And it's been super helpful. So I will link the past episodes in the Year of Less Challenge in the show notes. So you can definitely go back and listen to the other episodes and hear my takeaways from the other challenges if you're interested in learning more about that. Okay, but jumping into my whole home decluttering challenge, I feel like I have to give some context into how my journey into minimalism started. And like many people, I'm guessing, it started by reading Marie Kondo's The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And that was about in 2015. I think the book might have come out in 2014. And so I read that book kind of at the height of its popularity in 2015. I think the book came out in 2014. And everyone was talking about it, both from like a national news perspective, but also just friends and, you know, social media. Everybody was talking about this book and the life changing magic of tidying up. So, as cliche as that is, that is how my journey started. I read the book, I went through the exercises, I decluttered everything that I owned. I was living in an apartment at the time. So, I didn't have a huge house with a ton of stuff to declutter. I had a bedroom and a bathroom, and I did have a walk in closet with way too many clothes. So, I went through everything that I owned and decluttered. Probably only took me like a week. And it felt so good. Like that feeling was addictive. And so I started reading more and more about minimalism and owning less things. And I think over the past now eight years, I've read a bunch of different resources and have always been interested in reading like articles or um, like news headlines if it had anything to do with owning less or minimalism or like the tiny house movement or extreme minimalism. Like I've always been interested to learn more and gradually, very slowly over time, have become more and more of a minimalist. But I would say that I'm not a true or extreme minimalist, if you would call it that. I would say I'm minimalish, which is also another buzzword if you're like interested in minimalism, but you want to have a little bit of like comfort and convenience in your life, I would Google some minimalish resources because that's definitely what I would consider myself to be. Even though every single year, I feel like I do own less and less instead of more and more, which is what our culture basically does. And for me, especially over the past four years since getting married and my husband and I like combining our possessions and moving into the same house and also renovating our house, it's been really difficult for me to separate decluttering and like the organizing owning less portion of my life from the home renovation journey that we've been on because there has been the least amount of order and organization in my life over the past 4 years while living and working from home while also doing DIY home renovations and things are constantly moving like as recent as this year we had to sleep in the basement for two weeks because of a certain project that was happening where we couldn't sleep in our bedroom. Um, so we had to move a bunch of stuff temporarily. And like stuff is always shifting around our house based on what project and what room we're working on. And our house isn't even done. We have a bathroom, a laundry room, and what is technically a spare bedroom that 
does not function in reality like a spare bedroom because there's so many doorways. It's more of like a room that's a hallway. But that is the last room that we have to renovate. We did not touch the kitchen, thankfully. (laughs) But it's been really hard for me to separate the the journey to owning less and like really curating and thoughtfully thinking through what we needed and what we didn't need because we have needed so many different things based on what the state of our house has been over the past four years. And it's fluctuated week to week, day to day, month to month. And so know that when I'm talking about decluttering, much of it has either been helped or hindered to like an extreme extent based on the projects that we have had going on in our house. And recently, the time where we had to sleep in the basement this year, we got 11 windows replaced. Technically, they replaced eight of them. And then we're still waiting for the other three that are going to go in our kitchen. But when they were replacing those windows, it turned into a nightmare experience. Um, We have had really bad luck with contractors and it always seems great. They're awesome. Think it's going to be an amazing experience working with them. And then they ruin our lives. Basically, that has been our experience in hiring people. And so this was no different. They said that they would install the windows in a day. And then it turns out they ordered the wrong color of windows. So we didn't want to wait nine more months to get new windows. So we accepted them and they gave us a discount. And then it took two weeks of our house being like torn apart because when you're replacing windows, like everything, the floor is covered, furniture is rearranged. We had to put up our own plastic because they didn't care about getting dust everywhere and dust got everywhere. They ordered the wrong size of windows in a basement that has cinder block walls. And so they were sawing cement and not knowing what they were doing. And Caleb like took time off work to like help them figure out how to... Yeah, it was a whole thing. But all of that said, there was three windows in our bedroom that got replaced. And our bedroom is connected to this like open door walk-in closet. At least at the time the windows were replaced, that's how it was set up. And our closet's moving too. Like Again, everything is always in flux around here. But everything was coated in dust. And it's not dust that you can easily just like, oh, I'll just go in and dust. It's like everything needs to be washed. I had to take every single piece of clothing that was hanging in our closet and take it outside and blow it off with like an air blower to get the dust off. And then we ended up honestly washing almost everything that we own because it wasn't enough. I only dusted off the stuff that couldn't go like the dry clean only types of things and started blowing the rest of it and was like, this isn't working. It, Yeah, we had to wash everything that we own. And then every item, there's also a storage closet that had an open door and open shelving in our bedroom. And it was like boxes of like gift wrapping and um, like extra toilet paper and extra tissue boxes and all of my stuff for my office was temporarily in there, like binders and my box of like hard drives and my podcast mic, all that stuff. But it was open and everything was dusty. So literally, one by one, I picked up everything that was stored in our bedroom, which is the only place on the main floor that has storage. So it is like all of our household storage, basically. And took it outside and dusted it off with an air compressor and brought it back inside. And from touching everything that I own, one, it took two weeks. And it was really hard because I was also trying to have client meetings during that time. And when you work from home and somebody is sawing cement, that doesn't necessarily work out. So I had to like 
scrambled to find other places to take Zoom calls and in between was cleaning up my house and trying to have it not be ruined. Uh, It was a whole thing. But that being said, I think that if I had not been forced to take everything physically outside to clean it and bring it back inside, I would have kept a lot more than what I did. And so the positive side of that is it did force me to get rid of a lot of things when I noticed like, hey, this item is not worth my time and energy to physically take it outside, dust it off, wipe it off, and bring it back inside and reorganize it. A lot of those things, I was just like, it's not worth it. I don't want to deal with it. It's leaving. I gave a lot of my stuff away. Specifically, all of my old photography gear was in that closet too. And so a lot of that got donated and gifted to other photographer friends that I have or like photography props and stuff like that that I used to use for branding sessions got taken to consignment and or donated. So I did get rid of a lot of stuff because of it. I would not recommend from a decluttering standpoint to physically take everything you own outside. It's exhausting. And I'm guessing that you probably have a lot of stuff that you do not want to do that with. So anyway, that has been my journey this summer. Specifically, that was only in the month of April and May. And that was only one room in storage out of our house. And so I did the rest of our house throughout the summer. And it took the longest, honestly, to do our master bathroom and our kitchen. And since doing that, I have been surprised over and over again. Like I said, I've been doing this for 8 years and gradually owning less and less things and kind of curating. So it's not that I've never bought anything new. But as things get worn out, I'm buying better things like more lifelong investments rather than like cheap pans that you buy when you're 22 years old, basically. But every year, I would say that our house contains less and less possessions and becomes more and more organized because we are finishing more and more rooms of our house where they can have solid, like not transitional ways to organize things, which has been really helpful. But overall, I was surprised at how much I was still able to let go of. And every time I read a book about minimalism, it opens my eyes to some new dimension of what I can get rid of. Like, One author might focus on the idea that you only need three knives. And this is why you can use three knives for everything. And everything else that you use to cut up vegetables or whatever is not actually needed. And then it's like, wow, I can get rid of a lot of knives or a lot of utensils that are used to cut things because this person has gotten away with three knives and they have the endorsement of this commercial chef or whatever. Or somebody else emphasizing like how many sheet sets you need per bed. You know, like every author talks about something very specific or mentions something unique. And so I learn and get inspired by continuing to read from people who teach about decluttering and minimalism. And it continues to surprise me how I think that I need a certain amount of things or a certain item. And then somebody else tells me I don't. (laughs) And then I think about it a little bit harder instead of just default accepting that I would need that in my life or that I could not live easily without it. And then once that door is opened, it becomes so much easier for me to let go of things. And maybe you've had a similar experience, but it's been really helpful for me to learn from other people who get really specific in what they want to have in their house or what they've been able to live without. And I'm going to link some of my favorite books about minimalism that I've enjoyed over the last eight years 
just to like mention a few, the number one I would suggest if you've never decluttered is Minimalista. Love that book. Josh Becker has a ton of books about minimalism. The best one that I've read from him is The More of Less, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, of course. And then A Year of Less um, is kind of what I base this challenge off of. It's about a woman who goes throughout a year and has very specific guidelines for what she owns and uses like very, very restrictive extreme minimalism guidelines just to simplify her life. And it was absolutely fascinating and very inspiring. So I'll link those four in the show notes if you want to grab those later or pick up one or two of them just to dive a little bit deeper into the world of minimalism. And I do want to talk a little bit about why I think this is important and some of the benefits that I've seen in my own life, but also just how difficult it is based on the culture that we live in. Like everything that I experience and am told either verbally, explicitly, or non-explicitly tells me that I should want more, that I should buy more, that I should have more, that I should pursue more. And if you're living in a stereotypical American culture and have American friends and family with those same cultural values, then it can be a really easy thing to fall into. Even for me, it's something that constantly takes intentional thought and intention to curate what I own and to focus on what actually matters instead of getting caught up in these things that don't really matter. I think there's a lot of statistics that show the state of consumerism and even like the hoarding mentality and getting your identity based on how much you own or the cost of your house or whatever that is, especially in America. But I wanted to list out a few things that I think have just struck me and have made me think differently about what I own and how I live my life. So the first thing is just thinking about the average American house size. Our house is 1,600 square feet. The average right now is about 2,469 square feet. And if you do like a brush through of research on American households, most of what you'll read is like the average household size is increasing. Um, Many sites will say that it's doubled since the 1950s, which was true in like 2006. But what I think is really interesting since 2015, which again was kind of like the height of when Marie Kondo was popular... Since 2015, according to Statista, which is a site that I love going to for statistics, the average American household size has actually gradually been decreasing, like very slightly, but it has been decreasing since 2015, which I think is fascinating. I do think that people are starting to wake up to the realization that owning so much stuff is a burden and it's time consuming and it's stressful and it doesn't actually help you live a life that's enjoyable and facilitates your happiness for yourself or for your family. And so, I mean, this is among other trends like the tiny house movement and the camper van movement and, of course, the minimalist movement and Marie Kondo organizers. But I just thought that that was really interesting in my research because, yes, do we have houses that are way bigger than they need to be? We do. We totally do. We do not need houses that are even 2,500 square feet. Like it is way more space than anybody needs. But at the same time, it's encouraging to see that the trend is slightly decreasing. And I think why that's specifically encouraging to me, Take Back Your Family is another book that I would recommend. 
I'm sure I've mentioned it before. I know I mentioned it in the episode about is the 40-hour work week really productive because it does go through the history of the industrial revolution and what that meant for families and what that meant for building like this nuclear family where people are separated from their relatives and mothers are now working full-time and have less time with the kids and then two parents working and also expected to take on all of those household chores and responsibilities outside the 40-hour work week with no help from parents and extended family because everyone, you know, the American dream is to live in your own house and buy more and more stuff that you can't afford. And so the whole book is a fascinating exploration of that time in history and what that has resulted in. But having bigger and bigger houses is tearing families apart. Like you don't even need to interact with each other. Kids don't share rooms and they don't share bathrooms. There's separate living rooms. There's separate playrooms. And when everybody has their own space, you don't have to interact or have conversations with each other. And so it's encouraging to me that household sizes are getting smaller. And I actually really love that our house is only 1,600 square feet. We've definitely always had less than 1,600 square feet because at least half of our house has been unusable or under renovation since we got married in 2019. And even now, I would say 75% of it is usable and like finished, done renovating. And then 25% of it is filled with construction materials and like halfway torn apart, halfway put back together type of space that we can't actually functionally use for anything. And it's been more than enough space for both of us to be working from home. Honestly, is it inconvenient to have my desk in my bedroom? Yeah, some days it is. And can I go to a coffee shop instead of paying for another room in a house or like getting a bigger and better house? Yeah, for now it works really, really well and helps us like be really restrictive in how much we own and the space that we have to store things. And so overall, I feel like it's been a benefit to live in a quote unquote smaller. I don't think 1600 square feet is a small house, but quote unquote smaller house by about a thousand square feet than the average American home. I also think about this culturally where American houses, even like within the United States, there's certain areas that have smaller houses or especially congested cities. Like people live really, really well in smaller spaces. But I think about this in terms of like the IKEA household where IKEA furniture is designed to maximize storage and functionality and aesthetics of small spaces. And if you've ever walked through an IKEA store, it is absolutely beautiful and extremely functional and affordable. And in Europe, I feel like houses just operate like that. And in America, they don't. And it's always bothered me that American households, even my obsession with scrolling Zillow and looking at different houses, it's something that I really enjoy doing. It's not always the best for me, but I still do it anyway. Like there's scrolling houses in Iowa or in different parts of the United States is much different than scrolling apartments and homes in European countries. And yes, I do both because it's just fascinating to me. Another thing that I think about is um, my husband's sister. She lives in California with their family and they have a very small like A-frame cabin in the Redwoods in a beautiful neighborhood. And they have two kids and their living situation in terms of the space that they have for the amount of people in their house 
very little space and they make it work. And one time when they were back in Iowa visiting us, they walked into our basement and her husband was just like, wow, it's like a whole nother house down here. And it's so true. Like not everybody has basements even within the United States and not everybody lives in the, like the size of lot and like household that we have. And it just helps you think differently when you get that perspective that people are living with much, much less. And I'm not talking about like privilege or not privilege. I'm just talking about location only. People live very well with a lot less. Okay. Two last things on the state of America and consumerism. I always think of a researcher actually here. I'm in Iowa City and the University of Iowa is in Iowa City. It's a research institution. And there's a researcher named Alice Wang who does fascinating research about loneliness and its effect on decision-making. And I'll link to one of her articles, something that a local newspaper wrote up on some of her research that was just really interesting and has made me think a lot and about like the correlation between loneliness which if you haven't been aware, we are in a loneliness epidemic. We are like the loneliest generation and younger generations are becoming more and more lonely for a variety of reasons. But it's now being called the loneliness epidemic. And loneliness actually contributes to consumerism and shopping and retail therapy and buying things. And so this researcher has studied the correlation between those things and the effects of loneliness on decision-making and It's sad, but it's also really, really interesting and has honestly made me be a little bit more self-reflective when I am shopping. And for me, my retail therapy is basically going plant shopping. Whether or not I buy plants, I think it's therapeutic to go look at plants in stores. And it's made me think like, am I just stressed or lonely or checking out of my life? Or, you know, like, why do I feel the need to go shopping. And for everyone, that answer is going to be different. And every day for me, it's a little bit different. But specifically, this researcher has made me think a little bit differently about why we shop and why we buy. Not even why we buy the things that we buy, but why we shop at all for things that we don't need. And I don't know if you've noticed, but retail therapy actually isn't very helpful at the end of the day. In fact, there's a big correlation between the amount of stress you have and the amount of things you own. And people who are stressed also buy more things, which at the end of the day, you have to maintain as your to-do list and makes you more stressed. And so it's a vicious cycle and something we're thinking about if you haven't already. But skipping to the good part, there's a solution for all of this. And I won't say that it's a perfect solution, but it's something that has helped with all of these things in my own life. And personally, like I've talked about before, productivity starts with clarity And so my goals for my life and the way that I want to live are more compatible with minimalism than with consumerism. And I would guess that for you, if you're listening to this podcast, you might say the same thing. So my goals for my life, I want to have a simple home and easy to maintain home that doesn't take a day and a half to clean each week. I want to spend very little time and mental energy on figuring out how to clean things and organize things and picking things up off the floor and stuff like that. I would rather just not have any of that to deal with so that I could spend my time the way that I want to spend my time, not organizing or shopping for my home, which are two things that I enjoy doing anyway. But if I'm thinking about my big P priorities, it's not cleaning and organizing 
Definitely not. I also work from home and I want to have a clutter-free organized space that helps me focus, that helps me prioritize the needle-moving activities in my business that doesn't distract me from what I'm trying to get done each day. I also get a lot of inspiration and creativity from my environment. And so as a business owner, it is important to me (laughs) to live in a space that's inspiring. That's part of kind of like the home renovation journey. But also as we're renovating, things are becoming a lot more functional and simple and aesthetically pleasing. But it's an inspiring space and something that's pretty important to me as somebody who spends a ton of time at home. And I also want to be spending my money wisely. I definitely believe in buying once and buying right instead of buying cheap things that break or go out of style or just trendy or I know I'm only going to use once because over the long haul, even though I probably buy more expensive clothes or more expensive appliances or like kitchen utensils, those are things that I want to last like 20 years from now. I don't want to be throwing things in the landfill. I do care a little bit more about sustainability too since I've been on this journey. A lot of minimalists are minimalists because they're so passionate about the environment and sustainability. And that's like slowly become part of my heart for minimalism too. But it helps you save money and it's good for the environment. And I'm not even going to get into the implications of consumerism and the environment. I'm sure that you can do some digging and you probably already know how bad it is for our world anyway. Okay. And to wrap up this episode, I do want to talk about three of the benefits that I have seen in my own life the life-giving things that minimalism has given because I often think when people talk about minimalism, they always go to, I don't want to give stuff up or that is depriving me of the joy in life. You know, They automatically go to the things that you can't have or you won't have instead of going to the things that minimalism does give you, which I would argue are much more valuable and life-giving than what you give up. Like everything comes with trade-offs. And so are there things that I have to live without that are a little bit inconvenient? Probably. But is it worth the results and the benefits that I get and the time and the lack of stress that I have? Absolutely. So here are three benefits that I've seen. The first one is less stress. And I've mentioned this several times already, but Even within my kitchen, after decluttering the summer, like I can open several drawers and cupboards. And we have a very small, like 70s galley kitchen. Again, we did not touch the kitchen and the storage honestly doesn't make a lot of sense. But a lot of our drawers and cupboards are just completely empty. Some of them you open and it has like one bread bowl in it, like one beautiful bread bowl or a very pretty pitcher that I love. And It just makes me feel lighter to open my cupboards and drawers and to like experience my home in that way where things aren't like shoved and crammed in and hard to find. Like everything is easily accessible and I have what I need and nothing that I don't. That contributes to much less stress in my life. And when I think about this less stress thing, I always think about the summer that I spent in South Africa and I was doing like a missions trip, volunteer trip, working, doing like summer sports camps basically for kids that lived in the local or- orphanages in the like township we were in. And I lived out of a suitcase for that summer and had very little things. We had to like hang our clothes on the clothesline with pins. <laughs> it was just very simple living and we had very little stuff. And then as soon as I came back, 
I house sat for like an average family in Iowa City who had two kids who were grown up and moved out of the house, but they had, I think, a dog and two cats. I can't remember if it was one cat or two cat, two cats. But I stayed in their house for a week. I was there every day feeding their pets and like watching their house, getting their meal. And the first day that I walked into their house, I had like the feelings of having a panic attack. And I was like, what is going on? I don't understand like, why am I feeling so stressed right now? And I realized it was because they had so much stuff. And granted, their house was very normal. Like, it's not like they were hoarders. It was a normal house with things on shelves and mail on the counter, (laughs) stuff like that. But going from living out of a suitcase and experiencing a very simple life for the summer and then coming directly into a home like that, that had so much going on, it was a huge contrast. And... I don't think that we often realize how much stress stuff contributes to our life until we have the opportunity to experience life without that stress and realize how much it was weighing on us. And I always think about that when I'm like decluttering or have that feeling where I open a cupboard and just feel like light and airy because stuff does weigh on you whether you experience it in your day-to-day life or not, it's there. Another way that it reduces stress, again, with saving money, spending a lot of money on things that you can't afford or don't need contributes stress because either you feel forced to make more money and the audience for this podcast is definitely business owners. So if you're a business owner who's buying a lot of things, you might feel a lot of pressure to grow your business when if you just learned to spend your money in a way that was in alignment with what you valued, then you might not have to set as high of revenue goals or work as hard or work as long to experience the same quality of life, if not better. And so another benefit of minimalism, along with the thing that it provides less stress or reduces stress in your life, part of reducing stress is reducing that financial stress that comes with constantly buying things and needing like bigger and better. Okay, second benefit. The first one, less stress. Second benefit, more productivity and more focus. And you know, I'm all about focus and productivity and curating your environment for the activities that you actually want to do, the habits that you want to form and removing distractions. So beneficial. It basically automates a productive day. If you only have the things in your home that prompt you to do activities and spend your time the way that you truly want to be spending your time, instead of having things and clutter that prompt you to do things that you don't want to invest a lot of time in, it makes a huge difference. And again, can be automated based on how you set up your environment and how you set up your home to facilitate the type of life that you want to live. And the third one is a very broad benefit, but I'm just going to sum it up and say more life. Less time spent searching for things, more time spent actually living and enjoying your life. I saw a statistic that said women will spend more than eight years of their lives shopping. And I'll link that in the show notes. Anything that I mention in terms of research, I'll link in the show notes. But eight years shopping. What a waste of time because I'm sure that a lot of those eight years are spent shopping for things that we don't actually need. Like, is that really how we want to spend our lives? I don't. But we do on average, which is just crazy to me. Another thing that I love about minimalism is that it provides us flexibility. And Caleb and I have a lot of different dreams. Who knows what we'll end up doing? But we've talked about doing like the tiny home or camper van lifestyle for a while. We've talked about Airbnb in our house and like going 
and staying in monthly Airbnbs in different cities or different countries around the world because he can work remotely. I have the flexibility each time I launch my coaching program to adapt it to like my schedule and needs basically. And so we have a lot of flexibility and by owning less possessions, it makes it a lot easier for us to actually consider things like that. If we wanted to Airbnb our house, we own so few things that it would not be a burden to like move things into a certain location or just lock a few closets and then feel really good about Airbnb in our house. I would love to get to the point where we can actually pack up everything that we own and travel that way. I think that's a more lofty goal, but I think my closet's getting there in the ability to fit in a suitcase. Potentially, we'll see. But it does provide you more flexibility and more location freedom, I would say, and you don't feel as tied down. Because I'm wondering how many people don't love where they live and have thought about moving, but just like the overwhelm of figuring out what to do with all their stuff is tying them to one place. Another way that I think minimalism provides more life is that it's allowed us to be more generous. And again, going back to decluttering, a lot of the stuff I get rid of, I give away like I mentioned, I gave a lot of photography gear away to other photographers who are friends. I let like my sisters go through clothes that I'm getting rid of, stuff like that. But also just freeing up time and finances to be able to volunteer, to take the meal or to give the time or to you know, take on organizing whatever event and to just be more generous because we have more resources because we're not spending our resources in a way that's wasteful. And so I could definitely go on and on about the benefits of minimalism, but the top three that I've experienced in my own life are way less stress, more productivity and focus, and more life. And obviously, this is the Business Minimalist Podcast, so I can't close the episode without touching on how these principles of minimalism apply to your business too. And the execution looks totally different, but the rules and guidelines of minimalism also apply to growing and scaling a business, which is what this podcast is all about. When you apply minimalist principles to your business, you get honestly really similar benefits, less stress, more time freedom, more productivity, more focus, more inspiration, more meaning and intention, financial freedom, less maintenance work, less time searching for things. And the list honestly goes on and on. So if you're interested in building a minimalist business, be sure to hit subscribe wherever you're listening today. And if you want a weekly email in your inbox telling you when new episodes are live, just go on over to the show notes and you can subscribe to my email list there too. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it opened your eyes to see some different views and ideas about what living a minimalist lifestyle and building a minimalist home could look like for you. And even if you take a very small tip or trick and start implementing things slowly. Like I said, that's what I've done over the past 8 years. It's not that I've decluttered my life once and then never had to do any work ever again. It's definitely just a shift in the way that you live your life and the way that you make decisions day in and day out. And it can be a slow journey and that is fine too. So until next time, I hope you take something that you learned today and get 1% better this week. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Business Minimalist Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd rate and review it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Your rating and review will help more small business owners discover helpful episodes each week. And don't forget to check out the show notes for the tools and resources mentioned in today's episode. Because good ideas don't grow businesses. Action does. 
And if you want more business minimalist tips and resources, head on over to Instagram and follow me at jadeboyd.co. I'd love to hear what you took away from today's episode. I'll see you next time on the Business Minimalist Podcast.